I didn't pick on mothers on Mother's Day. Dads, you're safe. I'm not picking on dads today. We're just going to keep plodding on through the book of Luke. And we are now to Luke chapter 12 and verse 35 as we've been preaching through it week by week. And the Bible is clear. And we just sang about it. The Bible is clear that history will eventually come to an end. That Jesus Christ will return to this earth, that he will establish an earthly kingdom. In doing so, sin will be judged, the earth will be destroyed and replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. Just as sure as the prophecies in the Old Testament were in regard to the first coming in Jesus, they are just as sure in regard to his second coming. They're just as sure. What isn't clear, and this is by God's design and plan, what isn't clear is when all this is going to take place. And anybody who thinks that they know and anybody who has prophesied has only proven themselves to be one thing, an idiot, (laughs) a fool. Because Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. And yet, we do know from the word that it's going to be a series of events that are going to unfold. We know from the, from the unfolding of the prophetic passages of Scripture how this is going to take place. We just don't know when. We know certain things. We know that the church will one day be snatched away or raptured, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We know that that's going to happen. We know that that will be followed by a time of intense judgment here on the earth that the Bible calls the tribulation. And it will, be, it will culminate in a worldwide, a worldwide, easy for me to say, worldwide rebellion. And that Christ will return with his armies and will judge the wicked, he will bless the righteous, and he will establish his throne here on earth for a thousand years. That will culminate in a final rebellion and a judging of the, of the wicked, and destruction of the earth. The, the word is clear, the word is clear that the end is coming. Okay, If you get nothing else this morning, get this, the end is coming. I'm not going to point to events in Israel, I'm not going to point to you know, a changing of a prime minister, I'm not going to point to certain things to say that it's, that it's coming, that it's imminent, but I am going to tell you this, the end is coming. And so, Because the end is coming, the question for all of us is simply this. Are you ready? Are you prepared? That's the question. Because the end is coming, are you prepared? Our text this morning is Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. And and the context here, let me help you to understand where we are in Luke chapter 12 as we've been working our way through, through Luke here. The context is this. Just prior to this, Jesus has said to his disciples, he's given them a strong admonition, don't worry, trust in the promises of God. And and then he's followed that up with, start investing in heavenly treasure. Start start thinking about heaven. Start thinking about what you can do to be prepared. Start focusing your mind that way. Prepare for the future. And so what he's been telling us is, instead of worrying about the future and what's going to happen to you when you die, be prepared. Be prepared. And that's the question for all of us this morning. And quite, quite honestly, my, my great fear as a pastor who loves his flock is that there are people sitting here this morning, there are people who are online who think that because they prayed a prayer, because they walked an aisle, because they jumped in a baptistry, that they're good to go. 
and that's not enough. You say, are you teaching us that you have to do something more than be saved? No. But what I'm teaching you this morning from the Word of God is, is that there's a very specific and a definite way that you know that you're prepared. Jesus is teaching us that. Jesus is teaching that. And, and, and what we're going to see here as we unpack this text this morning is, is that the choices that we make in this life will have clear ramifications whenever Christ returns. The choices that you're making now, the choices that I'm making now, will have clear ramifications when Christ returns. So with that in mind, let's read Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48 this morning. Jesus is still talking here. And he says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Let me read that again. That's, that's the key verse to this whole text. You also must be ready. Say it with me. I must be ready. That's Jesus' command. You must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day that when he does not expect him, and at an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant, who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what, des and, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Father, these words are heavy. And the words of Jesus are clear that, that it is our duty to be prepared. And it's my prayer, Lord, that, that we can all confidently have the same testimony as Paul when he said this, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. I pray that that would be true for all this morning in this room, that they know whom they believed and, and that their, their confidence is in Christ and in Christ alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to notice first that Jesus is, is, is he's just keeping on talking here. Between verses 34 and 35, you might have a, a paragraph break in your Bible, you might have a different heading there, but Jesus is just continuing on talking here and he's talking to his disciples and, and, and later on, Peter in verse 41 is going to ask for clarification. Is this, is this just for us? 
or is this for the general population? And the reason Peter has to ask that is this, because not only are his disciples there present, but there's this large crowd that we find out earlier in chapter 12. There's this large crowd there that, that is pressed in on Jesus and is listening, and it's full of believers and unbelievers, and, and from Jesus' answer, when he gives the answer here, kind of in parable form, in verses 42 through 48, when Jesus gives this answer, we find out that this is for believers and for unbelievers, okay? So, so the message applies to everyone here in this room this morning, okay? So, so the teaching applies to everyone. The clear admonition, as I pointed out when I was reading, though, is found in verse 40, Look at it again. The clear admonition is there in verse 40. Right in the middle of this text, Jesus makes this strong point for all of us. The Son of Man's coming. You must be prepared. And notice what he says. He, he gives us some grace in this. In fact, there is an immense amount of grace in this verse, in verse 40. Some of us, when we find out we're going to be evaluated, we, we kind of, we don't like that. Kids in school, when you find out you're going to get a test, what's the first thing you do? Oh. But evaluation isn't necessarily a bad thing. Having an accounting isn't necessarily a bad thing. Some of you on your jobs, when you find out you're going to get a performance review, you're like, oh. Those of you who have been working hard and doing a good job, though, you're like, bring it on, baby. Bring it on. And so there's an immense amount of grace here in verse 40 that, that Christ would tell us that he is going to return and that he would give us that admonishment, you must be ready. That's grace. He's telling us something big is going to happen. You better be ready for it. And then he gives us grace upon grace in verse 40 because he tells us this, here's when I'm going to come. Here's when I'm going to come. Now, we would like that, that blank to be filled in for us with a date and a time, would we not? We would like that, wouldn't we? But here's what God knows about us. If that was filled in with a date and a time, we would all be really lazy right now. If Christ were going to return in three years from now, chances are this room would not even be as full as it is right now. I got time, baby. I got time. And what Jesus is saying to us is, and this is grace, I'm going to start this whole process off at a time that you least expect it. I can't tell you how many times in the past few months I've had people talk to me and say, the Lord's return's got to be really close. Look at all this stuff that's happening. Look at, look at this, this virus and how this is doing this to the world and all this other stuff. And look at all these things that are happening around us. And, and look at what's happening in the Middle East. And I just keep thinking in the back of my mind, when you least expect it. When you least expect it. Which tells me this. That for a majority of people, they're going to be totally unprepared totally unprepared. And as we begin our time in the Word this morning, I implore you, I beg of you, don't be those people that are totally unprepared. Don't be those people who are unprepared. And so the text really is kind of simple for us to understand. It all hinges on verse 40, being ready. And the verses leading up to it, verses 35 through 39, they teach us how to be ready and then verses 41 through 48 give to us the consequences for a person's readiness. They, they give to us the consequences. They, they, they spell out very clearly what happens to those who are ready and, and what happens in certain degrees to those who are not ready for the master to return. 
So let's begin by looking at verses 35 to 39, and let's look at how to be ready for Jesus' return. How can you and I be absolutely ready for Christ to return? And the good news is you and I can be ready. Okay, this is not something that he's asking us and saying to us, you know, that's totally impossible to to be ready for. This is not some deadline he's giving us that you cannot meet. You and I can absolutely be ready. So the way that Jesus presents this to us, it gives us two analogies because Jesus is the master teacher. He uses these word pictures for us to help us to understand what it means to be ready. So the first, the first analogy he gives is, is to be ready like a wise servant, to be ready like a wise servant. Now, now, I don't know that many of us in this room are wealthy enough or, or ostentatious enough to have servants. Anybody have servants? So this is kind of a foreign concept to us in many ways, but, but it wasn't a foreign concept during this time. It was not a foreign concept to these people of what servants were. If you were wealthy and, 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 you, and you, had, you had a lot of things to take care of, you hired somebody to manage your wealth for you. You hired somebody, and it wasn't just your wealth, it was your possessions. You hired somebody that you called a steward, and you put it all in their care. Kind of a nice idea, isn't it? You know, the roof leaks, talk to the steward. The car stops running, go talk to the steward. Don't bother me with this stuff, go talk to him. And so this is who Jesus is talking about, a wise servant. And notice what he says about wise servants. And these are the people that we want to be. Understand this. We want to be the person described here in verses 35 through verse 39. The, the wise person, first and foremost, is, is dressed for action. He's dressed for action. Literally, and if you have a King James Bible, it might even put it, it's, it your loins are girded up. Like, that sounds just really kind of weird. Your loins are girded up. What does that mean? Well, in, in that society, even the men wore long flowing robes. And long flowing robes are great for that, for that type of climate in that, in that area. But the problem with long flowing robes is, is anytime you want to get some work done, what's the problem? You're dealing with this robe thing. So, so what men did is they would literally lift up those skirts and they would put it in a belt. They had this big belt. Think of, like, think of the young men in here, the, the weightlifting belt that some of you guys use. It's a, it was a big, thick leather belt. And they would gird up the loins and they would put, that, they would put that, those robes up in that belt so that they were ready for action. And the first thing that Jesus is saying to us is, is that you and I need to be dressed like there's about action to take place here. We're not to be laying around in our robes and just enjoying life and being comfortable in life. We need to be ready to go for action because we don't know when he's going to come. Not only are we to be prepared for action in verse 35a, he says this, and keep your lamps burning. Wise servants keep the lamps burning. Now, their lamps are totally different than our lamps. They were small little vessels that required oil, and they had a floating wick in them. And they, and they required that you keep the wick in a, in a certain length. It required that you keep oil in there. You had to tend to these things, okay? And, and, you, had to, and you, had to, you had to constantly be ready to maintain these things. Otherwise, if you have darkness, then you're inviting trouble. And so what Jesus is saying here is, Keep the lights on. Light is a figure of speech in the scripture for knowledge. 
Light is a figure of speech for knowledge. And what Jesus is saying here is, don't be ignorant of truth. Be knowledgeable. Live and walk in truth in light of Christ's return. And can I say that to all of us? It is our duty, brother and sister. It is your duty. It is my duty to know what truth is and to walk in truth because we live in a world full of lies. We live in a world that's full of lies. And now more than ever, we need to be discerning. And we need to know the truth. And we need to live in the truth and stop living in the lies. The world around you wants you to live in the lie. Don't live in the lie. Live in truth. Where are you going to find truth? You're going to find it in God's word. That is our one source of truth. And so Jesus now says, you're dressed and you're prepared. You're keeping the lamps lit. Why? Well, because... The master's coming home from a wedding feast. Wedding feasts then are not like wedding feasts today. Wedding feasts then could last a week. They could last a long time. Now, I don't know about you, a wedding reception is too long for me already. Okay? I'm like, I'm the guy who's like, have they cut the cake yet so can we leave? When I go to a wedding, no offense, okay? But I mean, I, I don't like hanging around at wedding receptions. I would have hated these. Seven days or more. And so this master has left his servant in charge and he's basically said this, hey, I'm going to a wedding, not sure when I'm going to be back, but you know, it'll probably be a week or so, but you know what, if it's a dud of a wedding, it could be five days. If it's a really good wedding, it might be eight, right? So the master here leaves the servant in charge and he says this, I want you to be ready and the, and the wise servant doesn't know when the master's coming back, but notice where he is at verse 36. He's ready to crack open the door, which tells you what? Which tells you what about this guy? He's doing what? He's looking for him, isn't he? He's looking for him. He's absolutely looking for him. You don't open the door. It's not like you have ESP and know when someone's coming down your driveway. You have to be watching and looking for him, right? Unless you've got some high-tech system that, that alerts you when someone's coming down your driveway. You've got to be looking, right? And so here, here what Jesus is saying is, wise servants, they, they're dressed for action. They keep the lamps lit. And they're ready for the master to return. And notice what Jesus calls them. He says, those servants are blessed. Those servants are blessed. And notice what Jesus does. Not only does he call them blessed, but notice what his response is to those servants. You would expect that a master coming home from a long trip from a wedding would be ready just to walk in with his bags or maybe leave the bags out on the donkey or the camel and say to the servant as he walks in, hand him the keys to the camel and say this, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed. Can you take care of that stuff? Isn't that what you would expect? After all, he's the master, right? Okay, if I was wealthy enough to have that, believe me, I would take advantage of the servants, wouldn't you? Notice what Jesus says. When the master, when this master comes, when he comes, verse 37, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. He'll walk in with his robes, he'll pull his robes up, he'll get them cinched in a belt and he will start serving them. Isn't that a beautiful thought? It's an amazing thought that, that this Master is so loving and so kind that he would serve. Jesus did this already 
once. We see it in John chapter 13. He hasn't done it at this point, but he's going to do this soon for them. In John chapter 13, remember the night before he dies, what does Jesus do in the upper room? He, he, he takes on the servant clothes, and, and he pours water in a basin, and he washes their feet, and he serves them the meal. That's not the only time Jesus is going to do this, though. The Bible records for us in, in, in Matthew and in Revelation that there's coming a day when there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you know who's going to do the serving at the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's not going to be the angels in heaven doing it. It's going to be Jesus himself serving his bride. It's an amazing thought. It's an amazing thought. And he says to those who are prepared for it, you're blessed. Notice he gives us a clue, though. Even though he says no one knows the hour, notice he gives us a clue in verse 38. It may be in the second watch or in the third. And if he finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Now, depending if you go on the Roman view of time or the Jewish view of time, it could be anywhere from 10 to 6 a.m., or it could be from 9 at night till 3 a.m. Either way, those are not really alert hours, are they? Those of you who work that overnight shift, I have all the respect for you. I could do it one time and I would be dead for a week. But the way to be ready is to be serving, to be actively serving the master and looking for him and waiting for him. Question for you, Christian. Question for you, professing Christian in the room here this morning. Are you actively serving and waiting for the Lord to return? Are you actively doing it? That's, that's the key here. So that's the first analogy. We have this servant coming home, or we have this master coming home from a wedding. The second analogy is in verse 39. And the analogy is this, is to be a, to be a prepared homeowner. Okay? When we were first married, we hadn't even been married a year. We lived in a tiny little house in Clintonville. And we came home one night to find the back door of our house kicked in. And, and, and it's, it's, have you ever, how many of you have ever been robbed? It's a horrible feeling, isn't it, when you walk to your door and you see it standing there wide open. And, and you walk into the house, and the first thing, the first thing, because I was just young, big, and macho and everything, I said, I said to my wife, you wait in the car. And as I went in the back door, I'm like, uh, anybody here? <laughs> and you're walking through the house. And as I'm walking through the house, I walk into the kitchen, everything seems fine, except there's these muddy handprints, greasy, grimy handprints all over the wall. And I'm, we were young, we had very little, we had wedding presents is what we had. Remember when it was like all you had was wedding presents? Okay? And, 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 and I'm walking through and I walk in the living room, we have this beat up old junky TV and an old VCR, it's still there. Okay? I walk up the stairs to where our bedroom is, and I look at my wife's jewelry box, and it's tossed. And that sinking feeling, all her really nice jewelry that she had gotten from graduation from high school, graduation from college, I had bought her some stuff when we had gotten engaged, all gone. And you feel violated. If I had known I was going to be robbed, guess what? We wouldn't have gone to dinner that night. Right? If you had known you were going to be robbed, would you be ready? Yeah, I'd be ready with a couple pit bulls and a Smith and a Wesson, right? Right? If I had known I was going to be robbed. 
And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. And so the second analogy is this. You and I don't know when it's going to come, so we better be prepared for it now. If you think you're going to be robbed tonight, how many of you would booby trap stuff at your house? I don't want to know. And I'm not coming for you, okay? Some of you, some of you in this room, I would be scared to death to step on your property. And what Jesus is saying here is, the second analogy is this. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, the day of the Lord will come like a what? Like a thief in the night. Unexpected. No one plans to be robbed, but a wise homeowner, homeowner is prepared for it. The faithful homeowner is prepared because he doesn't know when, but he does know the thief is coming. And here's the thing, the thief is coming. The thief is coming. Friend, you and I don't know when Christ will return, but we know this. His return is sure, and it will take many by surprise, just like having your house robbed. And the wise person is prepared now. The wise person is making heavenly investments now. The wise person is faithfully serving now. The wise person is active now. The wise person isn't the young person who's saying, I've got plenty of time. The wise person isn't the person who's in the middle of life who says, I'll wait till I retire. The wise person isn't the person who's in retirement saying this, I've got plenty of years left. No, the wise person is doing it right now. Because here's the thing. Two things. I want to bring to bear here. You don't know, but you might be breathing your last breaths right now. And two, you don't know, but Christ may, may return in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, soon. It may be today. So the question is, again, verse 40, you must be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? In the brief time we have left, I want us to see clearly the consequences of readiness here. So after Peter asks this question in verse 41, the Lord answers him in verse 42, who then is the faithful and wise manager, okay? He's like, okay, who, let's, let's talk about the wise manager, the guy whose, whose master went off to the wedding and he did everything that he asked him to do, okay? Okay, notice what he says in verse 42. He says, the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them the portion of food at the proper time. So in other words, he's left him, he does all this stuff. Verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Notice the emphasis. It's not the master walks in and he presents him a list of the things that he does. How does he find him in verse 43? What is he actively doing? He's actively working. Do you see it there in verse 43? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I think about it this way. How many of you hire babysitters? How many of you hire babysitters? None of you hire babysitters? How many of you like it when you come in and the babysitter is sitting on the couch and they're just like scrolling through the TV? How many of you like it though when you come in and you find the babysitter cleaning up your kitchen? Which babysitter do you want to hire? Which babysitter do you want to hire? You want to hire the one who's doing stuff, not the one who's just collecting a check, right? And here, here's what Jesus says, 
I, the, the one who I'm going to reward is the one that I find doing when I come. Again, many of us think that I've done enough. I've, I've done all this in my past. I served in this ministry. I did this. It's time for me just to pull back and stop doing. That does not fly with Scripture, folks. Notice there's no age requirement here on this servant. If you're young, you can be serving. If you're old, you can still be serving. And when the master returns, he's going to reward the wise and faithful servant stewards with greater responsibility. You see that there? Verse 44, truly I say to you, I will, he will set him over all of his possessions. You've been faithful in this, I'm going to give you even more to be faithful with. So that's the good side of this. The second thing I want you to see is, first, there's reward for wise, faithful servants. Secondly, there's punishment for foolish, unfaithful servants. And I want you to see there's three foolish servants in verses 45 through 48. There's three different foolish servants here, and there's, there's, there's several things that are true. All of the unfaithful servants are punished. All three of them are punished, but the thing I want you to see is they're punished to various degrees. So let's begin. In verses 45 and 46, we have what I call the defiant servant. Okay? So verse 45, the servant that says to himself, notice this is a conscious decision that he makes. My master is delayed in coming. Like, like, my master has taken too long here. I'm tired of this. I am tired of being faithful and waiting on the master. I, I, you know what? My heart's not in it. This is what he does. He begins to beat the male and female servants, and he eats and he drinks and he gets drunk. In other words, he starts to use up the master's stewardship that he's given to him for his own purposes. He beats his other fellow servants, and he starts to eat the master's food to excess and drink the master's drink to excess. In other words, he's been given a lot here to be in charge of, and he's squandered it all. Notice what happens in verse 46. The master, that servant, will come on a day when he does not expect. Have you noticed a trend here? Have you noticed a trend here? All through this, you can't expect when the master's coming back. Jesus says, you don't know when I'm returning. You're not going to know, so stop thinking you know better than God. On a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour that he does not know, and notice what he does. That's not pretty, is it? If you mark in your Bible... Verse 46, put this in the notes. This is the wrath of God on full display here. This is the wrath of God on full display here. He's going to cut him into pieces. I mean, no questions asked. He comes back and he finds this guy being unfaithful. And, and what he's saying is, that's it, I'm done. He's mistreating other servants. He's misjudging his master's return time. We could just sum this guy up. Not only is this guy a defiant rebellion, he's a fool. This guy's a fool. And the punishment is severe. And then, notice at the end, he puts him with the unfaithful. He puts him, he counts him as an unbeliever. 
This guy may look like a good servant. Let's understand this. He may look the part. In fact, the master put him in charge of stuff. He, he, had, he looked the part. He, he was doing some of this stuff, but, but there obviously wasn't a change in his heart. Because when the master stops watching, this guy goes back to what he did originally. The life he lived before. But there's a second servant in verse 47. There's a servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will. This describes, I think, a lot of people who grew up in church. How many of you grew up in church? This describes a lot of people who grew up in church. They heard it all. They know all the stories. In fact, some of you, when I began this message, you're like, yeah, I know what he's going to say. Jesus is going to return, and i got to be ready. i gotta, got to put my faith in. You know it all, but you never got around to actually doing it. You see it there? Verse 47. That servant who knew his master's will put it this way. He was a guy who knows his Bible. You ever met unbelievers who know their Bible probably better than you do? This guy knows the master's will, but he didn't get ready or act according to his will. And notice what the Bible says about him. He's going to get punished, right? A severe beating, okay? Notice the first two guys both get punished, But there's a third guy. He's the ignorant one. Verse, four, verse, 47, verse 48, excuse me. The one who did not know. He, he didn't know what was going on. He, he, he's probably just this low-class servant. He's not totally in the know, but he did what deserved a beating. And let's understand. Let's stop right here. Every single one of us that, that walks the face of the earth deserves a beating because we're all sinful. We all deserve the beating. We all deserve the beating by our nature. We're all born as creatures of Adam. We're in Adam's line, and we deserve, to, we deserve the beating. And the only way to avoid the beating is the righteousness of Jesus Christ put to your account. That's the only way you avoid the beating. And so here, this man is a man who, who he doesn't know much. Maybe he's never been in the door of a church before in his life. Maybe, maybe he, he just knows that there's a God out there because the heavens reveal the glory of God, right? Psalm 19, he knows there's a God, but he doesn't really know much else besides that. He, he's never been to VBS. He, he's never been raised in a Christian family. He, he's never had anybody invite him to church. He's still going to get a beating, and let's understand this, folks. The whole world is under a death sentence. The whole world is going to be punished for sin. He's going to receive a light beating, but he's still going to get punished. And so it seems clear to me from Jesus' words here that there is a different degree of punishment for unbelievers. Some of you wrestle with that, I know. We talked about it in ABF this morning. I believe there's going to be a really hot place in hell for a guy like Adolf Hitler and for abortion doctors and people who abuse children. And I think I can say that on the authority of Scripture. But let's understand this. Hell is not going to be comfortable for anyone. It may say it's a light beating, but it's a beating. 
And I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't want a light spanking. I didn't want any spanking. And when it comes to facing God's wrath and judgment, even in its light form, I don't want it. And so the question is, are you ready? The question is, am I ready? And again, I say to you, being ready is not just praying a prayer or taking a trip down an aisle. If that's what you're putting your hopes in, that you pray to prayer and that you walk down an aisle or that you give money to the church or, or, that, or that you faithfully attend, no. Notice the emphasis here on these servants. A ready life is a life that's put their faith and trust in Christ and because they put their faith and trust in Christ, they live in a certain way. They live a life that's walking in faithfulness, walking in obedience, that's ready and anticipating the Lord's return. And I fear too many of us have put Christ's return totally out of our minds. We're not going to think about that till later. Folks, wake up. Wake up. It could be today. Do you realize that? There is, there is nothing in the scripture that, that indicates that there's anything that's holding back God from saying it's go time. Do you know that? It could be today. A ready life is a life that's actively serving the master right now. Not that has good intentions to begin serving or one day will start serving. It is actively serving the master today. And so here's my question for you and for me. But here's my question. Are you actively serving your master today? Don't, don't say things like, well, I worked in VBS, I work in Awana. No, are you in the day in and day out, when you go to work, when you spend your retirement, however you're doing it, are you actively serving the Lord seven days a week? Not what you're doing at church. Because I think we get that mistaken, don't we? We get that mistaken. Well, well, I do this at church. And it's easy to say, well, that's my church life, and then I have my other life out here. No, what are you doing in the other life? Are you actively serving? Do people around you know that you're serving a master who's returning soon? Think about the other servants in the house. I'm sure that in that household, let's just say there's 10 servants, and, and you've got the guy who's the head servant, and he's doing all this stuff. The other servants are like, what an idiot. Why is that guy up in the middle of the night? I'm going to bed. Right? But yet there's probably some servants who are like, you know what? That guy's right. We need to be ready for whenever the master comes. We need to be ready. And so... And so, when we come to the end of this text this morning, verse 40, look at, look at it again with me before you close your Bible. Look at it again. You must be ready. Say it with me one more time. I must be ready. Lord, make it so. Father, I pray that we would be ready. And the only way that we can truly be ready is if our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
And I pray that, that those in this room who, who are not on the sure foundation of Christ, that today would be the day that, that, that Christ would become their foundation. For those of us in this room who are your children, Lord, encourage us, exhort us, help us to serve you faithfully and to continue to serve you. May we be dressed for action. May we, may we have the lamps lit. May we be watching out the door for your return, Father. May we be living lives that when, when you return, we will not be found and be ashamed, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.